Welcome back to Insights. On today's episode, because when you are girl and you are in esports, people tend to put you in a certain how to say. People tend to peg you as um, a streamer, an influencer, uh, someone probably using their looks or their the fact that they are female to gain attention and using the attention to gain something else. Today we have Tiffany Lim, also known as Baby Alling, on the show. She currently holds the role of Head of Marketing and PR at Battle Arena Malaysia and Vice President of MESPA, aka the Malaysian Esports Players Association. And without further ado, let's get on to Insights. Welcome, Tiffany, to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Brian. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming on. I, I know you've been a bit busy. And I think we've all been a bit busy, so I, I'm really grateful for you coming in. Yeah, no problem. Sorry it took so long to schedule this. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so maybe for the you know listeners tuning in, right, maybe you can just give a brief uh, overview of you know who you are, what you're doing right now. Okay, so... Hi everyone, I'm Tiffany, also known as Baby Alling or just Alling. So I've been in esports for quite a while now, I think 8 years. And I've done almost everything in the esports industry, from shoutcasting to being a competitive player, to managing a team, to being an influencer, brand ambassador. Also recently, event organizing and marketing. Ooh, okay, that, that's actually a lot of things you've done. So maybe we could just start with how do you actually get started uh, in esports? Okay, so I got started in esports during my uni days back in Singapore. I studied uni in Singapore. So back then I didn't know of the existence of an esports scene at all, but I was gaming a lot. I have been gaming a lot all my life, actually. So one day, I was just randomly asked by my seniors to join an all-female competitive Dota team. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started playing competitively. And I did a bit of streaming and shoutcasting on the side as well and slowly made myself known in the scene. So then after that, it wasn't long until I got an offer to manage Team Titan. Back then, they were Orange Esports. Mm -hmm. They placed third at TI3 and kind of popularized esports and Dota 2 in Malaysia. That's the story. Okay, cool. So how, how long ago was this? This is what, TI3, TI4? Yeah, around what, then. Six years ago, something like that? Yeah. Oh, but okay. before that, I was already playing competitively. Oh, okay. What, what do you play then? Dota 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. So hmm. in terms of the, the role or what are you working as or doing right now? Right now, I'm actually the head of marketing and PR at Beta Arena. So as the head of marketing and PR at Beta Arena, my department kind of handles a bit of everything. So we run our own tournaments. We advise clients and help them with planning and running their events. We run marketing campaigns for them. We engage talents and influencers. We do press releases. Basically, everything a marketing and PR agency will do, but for esports. So recently, we started doing content creation and production as well. Mm -hmm. And outside of that, we also manage an esports division, the Battle Arena Elites BAE, yeah. which consists of a PUBG team 
and also an all-female CSGO team. Cool. Actually, yep. how, how did you get into uh, Batterina? How do you get oh. to that role now? <laughs> okay. Um, I think it was about three years ago. Back then, I was considering whether to accept the new offer, renewed offer from my previous job when this one came along. So I was asked out of the blue by a trusted friend in the IT industry to meet up with this group of Singaporean investors. They are planning to venture into the Malaysian esports scene, but they need someone experienced and well-connected to guide them and help to basically establish everything from scratch. So I had six years worth of experience in esports back then, but none of these experiences were related to business. So I thought this would be a good opportunity for me to get myself exposed to and also learn the business side of things. So I was quite cautious at the beginning uh, because I've seen a lot of dodgy people with no clue about esports wanting to enter the scene. They're usually super ambitious and severely underestimating how much industry knowledge is required to run esports events or esports organizations. So these people often just disappear after one failed event or so. So I was skeptical. But mm-hmm. these owners of Battle Arena really proved me wrong over the past two years working with them. I think I've learned so much from them and the way they conduct their business because they're usually generous in the way they do business because mm-hmm. they believe if you treat people nicely and help people out, even without asking for anything in return, the favor will eventually circle back to you. So ah. that's how they conduct their business. Okay. And even just within the two years I'm with them, I've already witnessed that happening from time to time. And it's really quite eye-opening. La. I would say it's an invaluable life lesson for me as well. And this has probably shaped and influence the way I handle things nowadays. Okay. So you mentioned about, you know, like it's, you've learned a lot from it, right? Uh, yeah. Being a better arena right now. What yep. do you think was one of the most important things or the most memorable thing that you have learned so far? I would say it's what I mentioned just now. <laughs> oh, like okay. the, the way they conduct business and how they treat people generously without asking for return. Mm, yeah, okay. because somehow it's, it's like karma thing. It will eventually come back to you. Yeah, so before that, I used to think of business as a very cold, harsh thing that yeah. <laughs> often destroys relationships between people. But turns out you can do business another way as well. Okay, that that's actually quite refreshing to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe you could tell us, like, what what's your like day-to-day schedule like for your role in Better Arena now? Okay, so we have an office based in um, Jaya Shopping Center. Yeah. It's the venue itself, La Beta Arena itself. It's based, in, uh, based on the fifth floor of Jaya Shopping Center. So we report to work there. Okay, so what usually happens is um, clients would inquire through either messaging us or emailing us about, example, venue rental or... Maybe they want an event produced and executed a certain way. So we'll receive this kind of inquiries through our inboxes and then we'll discuss together, have meetings as as a team on how to plan and execute this entire event from A to Z. So Mm -hmm. that's our day-to-day job, basically, as an eSports solution agency. And on top of that, because we also manage players... 
we also have to help them liaise with tournament organizers on um, tournament days to avoid clashes and sometimes help them with scheduling scrims and stuff like that. Mm. So basically everything from what a team manager does on a day-to-day basis to what a marketing agency does. Okay, so how has you know this COVID situation kind of affected or what, what kind of things have you done differently uh, since this has happened? I think the biggest difference would be the commuting to work part. Yeah. Because before that, we usually met up in the office in PJ. Mm-hmm. But now we are all working from home. And somehow it has sort of worked out better for us. I don't mm. know whether it's a gamer thing or what. <laughs> but somehow we are just more comfortable and more productive at home. I mean, yeah, it's been quite hard lah, this last few months. But sounds like you've yeah. been doing alright, so... Yeah, it's just that we had to shift our direction a bit because previously we dealt mostly with offline events. Ah, okay. Meaning, yeah, everyone gathered in the same venue having their events. But nowadays, we have shifted our direction to a more online-centric focus. Okay. So do you have yeah. any like examples of that? or like? Because we operate somewhat like a marketing agency, so we usually execute events based on the client's requirements. So back then, when things were still normal, clients used to opt for offline events because that's where they can actually set up booths to promote their own products and stuff like that and have more hands-on interactions with the audience and attendees. But nowadays, that's not no longer possible in many countries. So our clients have started opting for online events to maintain their presence throughout this COVID period. So... That's how we also shifted accordingly. Okay. So, mm. like, talking about clients, right, and shifting, were there any challenges, you know, from shifting from offline events to uh, online events? Mm. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Online events are actually easier to produce than offline ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because offline ones, you still have to you have to coordinate all the on-ground cameras, all the crews and everything else. Yeah. But for online events, it's actually, you can do it with just one PC, actually. A very basic online event production. As mm-hmm. long as you have the knowledge to do so. So, I would say it's not a particularly difficult shift. And it actually gave us quite a bit of opportunity to grow our own production team as well and our production capabilities. Okay. Mm. So were there any like pushback from your clients or were they quite happy with the what, what, what you were providing? Well, I would say so far so good. We <laughs> haven't, yeah, we haven't met any issues or any clients expressing their dissatisfaction. None. None whatsoever. Okay. Yep. But that, that, that's actually good to hear because uh, yeah. you know, you're always here in this period a lot of people get not so good news, but uh, it's very nice to hear um, some good news at least. Yeah, I I think esports industry is one of the industries that that's least affected by this entire COVID pandemic mm-hmm. situation because uh, I think you still see a lot of online esports events happening nowadays. Yeah, actually, you see a lot more. Yeah. Because nowadays, if clients want to reach the gaming demographic, they realize that esports event is one of the easiest ways to do so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so they tend to find us quite a bit more than before, I would say. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of a win-win. Uh. Yeah. 
the silver lining, la, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. So I I know that um, you are active in association called uh the Malaysian Esports Players Association. Is yeah, that right? Mespa. Yeah, yeah. Mespa. Could, maybe you could just tell tell us give a brief overview of you know what what Mespa is and you know, maybe what what your role is in it. Okay. So Mespa, like you said, it stands for the Malaysian Esports Players Association. It was formed in late 2018, I think, by a bunch of uh, advisors. They are experienced people, both inside and outside of the esports industry. And even till now, they still serve as advisors to the committee. So in late 2018, they had a round of elections and I was elected the vice president of the pro-temp committee, mm-hmm. the basically the inaugural committee. Yeah. So later on, because the president, Shige, he had to move overseas. So I took on the role as interim president. So what we do is we mainly deal with mediating player rights related disputes and we often represent local players in roundtable talks with tournament organizers, game publishers, and so on. And outside of that, we also do talks to raise awareness about player rights. And sometimes when players come to us, then we will offer our advice regarding their contracts or perhaps the terms and conditions of tournaments that they join. So Mespa was, was started in 2018, is that, is that right? Or did I get it wrong? Late 2018. Okay. What was the kind of um, reason that you all started to make MESPA a thing? Uh, when, why was it not there before? Actually, uh, the founding of MESPA wasn't my idea. It wasn't okay. any of the players' ideas as well. It was like I mentioned, that bunch of um, advisors who got together, they are all stakeholders in the esports industry. They have been in the industry for many years now. And they figured that the players should probably have something like that, have a body like that to represent their, to have a voice, basically. Because um, tournament organizers, they probably have their own sort of body. Basically, this kind of body is common in other countries. Yeah. But it wasn't present in Malaysia back then. So these esports stakeholders and also our legal advisors, they felt the need for such a body to be formed in Malaysia. Okay. So in terms yep. of, you know, uh, do a lot of maybe esports players come to MESPA to seek guidance or? Um, from time to time, actually. And I'm not sure if you know, but we have had some unresolved cases where prize monies are not distributed to the players mm-hmm. after the tournament is over. So we... We reached out to all these players who were affected, who were victims of all these um, unresolved cases. Yeah. And we sort of had town hall meetings and discussions, maybe one-to-one discussions if they feel uncomfortable with it, with the players. And later on, we got the players' consent to represent them in roundtable talks with the tournament organizers and perhaps authorities as well. So we actually reached out to some government officials who can help us mm-hmm. with these issues as well to help mediate the entire situation okay. to perhaps get a date from the tournament organizer on when they can pay out the prize monies, stuff like that. Okay. 
Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing because I want to talk about that uh, later on. Uh, okay. But we'll just move on a bit so that we can go more detail later on. Okay. Um, so I think uh, in your six years you know, of being in esports, right? What was mm. one of the most... Actually, eight years now. Oh, eight years? <laughs> oh, yeah. eight years. Oh, okay, okay. Six years was two years ago. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. All right. So in your eight years of uh, being in esports, right? What was yep. one of the most memorable moments for you? Most memorable moments. Yeah. I would have to say it's still winning together with my all-female team Mm. in tournaments. Yeah, because it's actually quite difficult to, in the first place, form an all-female competitive team. Mm. Because you have to find like-minded individuals who share the same goals and same vision as you. And even then, many of them had attitude problems. Because for females in esports, because they are like the rare unicorns in the industry. Mm-hmm. So people tend to be more forgiving towards females. And many of them, as a result, have some sort of a ego problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have played with many talented individuals only to have them leave halfway saying that they would rather pursue a streaming career or shoutcasting career, stuff like that. Mm. So it's hard to find it's hard to find teammates who can walk with you down this path in yeah. the long haul. Yeah. yeah. So um, when we finally got there together uh, as a team of five uh, Malaysian female players, we we were the only Malaysian team in the tournament, I remember. It mm-hmm. was called Female Sea League 4. Okay. Yeah, female C League four, and we beat out the Thailand team, which we were so afraid of, in the finals, two mm-hmm. to one. Yeah, and back then we were together in a land shop. Oh, sorry, we were together in a cyber cafe. I remember, mm-hmm. and the winning moment, we all basically we just slammed down on our tables and then threw, threw our headsets <laughs> and mice away and we were like hugging each other high-fiving each other that was the most memorable moment I would say wow, it sounds, yeah, very, we... sounds very wholesome <laughs> finally <laughs> got what you wanted you know yeah just because of how hard it was to get to that point that was, that was a nice thing to hear on a Thursday evening so <laughs> 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 so that, that was like your most memorable right so yeah. in your 8 years right what was like the I would say your lowest point like, in your career. The lowest point for me, I would have to say, would be when I first got into organizing tournaments and I was involved, I got involved with a not so reputable company and mm-hmm. they basically used my name because back then I was... I was quite well connected within the international esports scene. I maintained close contact with most of the international esports teams yeah. back then. So the company that I was unfortunately involved with, they basically used my name to invite some of these prominent esports teams mm. to come down to Malaysia okay. for a tournament. But the tournament was so badly organized and planned, they didn't have a clue what they were, what they signed up for, what they were doing. So it all ended in a fiasco and disaster. Mm. So after that 
tournament, I just said that I I told that company that I will never be involved with them again. I sort of took a break from the industry for a few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I had to recover from all that. It was quite a traumatizing experience for me. Hmm. Yeah. So that I would say was the lowest point. Okay. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like. Sounds like it was really rough period for you. Yeah, because during the tournament itself, I think I actually broke down and cried. Hmm. In front of all the players who were invited to come down. So. After the. Actually, during the tournament itself, because um, I think you know which tournament I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so during the uh, during the first day, some somehow a fire broke out or something. Mm-hmm. So the day had to be cancelled, but there was nothing I could do because I wasn't involved. I wasn't allowed to be involved in all the organizing part of things. I was only asked to manage the players. Yeah. So. Even, even though I've advised them so many times, numerous, countless times, what to do, what to prepare, all this advice, um, they just didn't heed my advice, basically. So, I could only sit there helplessly as I look at everything around me fall apart. So, for days two and three, um, I brought in my own friends from the industry mm-hmm. to help salvage the situation. And I think it went okay because uh, we only had very limited resources and time to plan out and rescue the situation. But after that, that was when I swore to be much more cautious before yeah. getting involved with these um, so-called new organizers who come into the scene and thinking it's something that's easy to maneuver. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was quite unfortunate, but I guess looking back at it now, it's quite a good life lesson, lah. Yeah, a very <laughs> big life lesson for I, me. I don't think you want to go through it again, but I think it was uh very valuable to you. Yeah, I think you have to go through <laughs> stuff like this in order to learn and really grow up. Yeah, true. So maybe I want to move on to the next part, which is uh, because we've talked about um, you mentioned a bit on you know it's very. It's not easy coming to esports, right? Uh, especially yeah. if you're coming in fresh, right? Um, maybe yep. what, in your opinion, right? What are kind of the demands or kind of the mental demands of working in esports? Working in esports, huh? Yeah. Actually, um, there are a lot of different jobs in esports, and yep. each of them will require different kinds of different levels of mental capacity. Yeah. They all all face different challenges. So, example, in event production, it's usually super stressful because you have to plan for an event about three to six months in advance, some even longer. And then all that comes down to the one event day or the two event days where you are expected to execute everything flawlessly without any mistakes. So, it is usually a super high-stress situation. I've been in those production rooms during event days before and all you can hear is people yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's quite funny because <laughs> um, 
you you never see them so stressed out and so tense before, and yeah. suddenly they are all like people that you you don't know, like they 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 look like they seem like uh how to say they seem like strangers who can't be reasoned with. Mm-hmm. So they just yell every single line of instructions at each other. But the funny thing is, after the event itself, that everyone just will just go out and have a drink and make up with each other. Mm-hmm. So that's for event production. Okay. And for team managing, I think I've had some stressful moments as well. It's when you get so emotionally invested. In the players that you are managing, yeah, that sometimes you can't bear to see them lose during tournaments. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's something that um every team manager will have to face because you can't always win, right? Yeah. So, and on top of not feeling bad yourself, you actually have to be the mature one to console the players. And make sure to help them adjust their mindsets in preparation for subsequent matches. So that's something that um, that's something challenging for team managers to go through. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and for team players, this is something that's been gone over quite a lot of times, lah. I'm sure everyone knows also how stressful it can get during games, especially when nowadays the stakes are so high. And the price monies are so big yeah. that even if you make a tiny mistake in one game, it could cost you maybe a few million dollars. Yeah, that's actually happened before in Dota tournaments. So these are some challenges I would say. Yeah, definitely. I think I really agree on you on the uh, maybe the team manager part where you're so invested in all the players, right? And then when yeah. you lose. I I feel like you, <laughs> you take it worse than them uh, sometimes. Yeah, actually, <laughs> because uh, usually when the players are playing on stage, then the managers would be watching intensely from the audience. Yeah, seats. yeah. Yeah, and you feel very helpless because you can't actually help them play the games. Yeah, you can only sit yeah. there and hope. <laughs> yeah, even though like you see like an enemy team is actually approaching them, smoked up, and you can't. Actually, get out on stage to warn them or anything. It's stuff like that, you know, that always gets to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's I think honestly the the worst part of being a manager. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, it's all good lah. Mm. It's quite fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, every, I think being in esports is quite rewarding. But of course, there are times where it's like so very stressful that you feel yeah. like you don't want to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think coming back to kind of the challenges, right? What kind of challenges do you face when you know when you were first starting out in esports? I would say one challenge that's always bothered me since the very beginning is is the stereotype that people have on females in esports. Mm-hmm. Because when you are a girl and you are in esports, people tend to put you in a certain. How to say? People tend to peg you as um, a streamer, an influencer, uh, someone probably using their looks or their the fact that they are female to gain attention and using the attention to gain something else. Yeah, yeah, or something something along that line, but never 
stuff as serious as um, being a professional player or being someone who can really contribute to the industry behind the scenes and stuff like that. So that's something that I've always been trying to break through since day one because um, I've had times during my competitive gaming days when I was out looking for sponsorship for my female gaming team and we were actually all very serious about taking this as a full-time career. We were all ready to quit our then day jobs and some even take a break from school in order to pursue this full-time. Like really live together in a boot camp, training every single day, getting a coach to uh, help improve our gameplay and stuff like that. But sponsors would always tell us to instead go the other route, which is to stream and to use our looks and to to mm. gain attention and to promote their products for them, stuff like that. But it's not something that we actually wanted to do. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things that I've always told um, some of the newer female gamers who want to enter the scene. Yeah, I will warn them against um, these kinds of situations and taught them how to navigate through these kinds of these kinds of situations. Basically, mm, yeah, it must be very demotivating when you try to you know make a, make a make a career out of, out of this, right? But then you know, you get wait. Do they tell that to you directly to your face where they say, "Oh, why don't you just stream for us instead?" Uh, or is it more one like way indirect? or another. <laughs> One okay. way or another, is either we hear it straight from the source or someone else would tell us about it. Like, hey, why don't you girls do this instead? It might gain you more money in a shorter period of time or stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, but it's not stuff that we want to hear. We want to hear that um, sponsors are actually willing to support us in our career in esports and take us seriously as female gamers. Yeah, yeah. As female players, yeah. That's quite a big barrier for a lot of people that want a career in esports, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's why some of them come to me as well. Like, they Mm -hmm. feel very demotivated. They don't really know. They feel lost. They don't know whether to continue down the esports path. And that's when I would tell them to just stay. Because eventually, this is something that's that's built on their passion. Yeah. And they can really go far with it. But if they become demotivated just because of what other people tell them to do then they're never gonna reach their goal yeah yeah definitely yeah do you think it's better now than it used to be or how, how's the situation like now mm, if we are talking about esports as a whole then it's definitely way better than how it was when it just started out mm-hmm. maybe a decade ago when everyone was just sitting on plastic chairs and gaming in like secluded corners. Yeah. But um, if you are talking about the female scene, I would say there has been progress, but not a lot. Yeah, you are seeing a lot of female streamers come up because some of them might think it's quick money and stuff like that, but you don't see a lot of female competitive players anywhere. Yeah, okay. So what would you like you know, to to see in the next maybe two years 
for for the female esports scene? Mm. I think the first step would be to have more competitions for mm-hmm. female players in the first place. Be it um, mixed tournaments or purely female tournaments. Because it, it will be a good place for these female players to start out and find themselves in a comfortable environment where they can game together casually with their female friends. And from there, we can inspire more of these female players to actually consider pursuing competitive esports as a career choice. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I want yeah. to talk. I want to talk about um, is it BAE Sphinx? Yeah, BAE Sphinx. Yeah. So, so you mentioned just now that um, that Batarina has a female CSGO team. Is that right? Yep, that's them. So. Basically, how, how, how do you guys find them? How, how, how do you guys sign them? And, you know, um, is, is this one of the things that you're trying to do to, you know, help females? Actually, that, that, one, that one is a happy coincidence because okay. they were the ones who found us, not the other way around. Ah, okay. Yeah, we actually signed Aini, this mm-hmm. uh, competitive PUBG player back yeah. then as our sort of reserve and in-training player. And she was actually good enough to play together with our male BAE players, male yeah. BAE PUBG players. So we were training her and one day she suddenly told us that she wanted to play CSGO instead because she's also good at CSGO. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of female there were a lot of female CSGO tournaments coming up. So she took it as an opportunity la, to uh, basically make a name for herself and also mm-hmm. gain more opportunities and exposure. So we let her go and she went to join uh, Sphinx back then. And Sphinx was under, I think, Orange Esports mm-hmm. okay. back then. Yeah, so after that, not long after, Aini suddenly came back to us one day and then she asked whether we wanted to take in her entire team. So we asked her, like, how come she wanted to make that change and stuff like that. And she mentioned uh, some issues, I think, with the management of the team. And the the team was finding another home. So, ah, okay. yeah, so then that was when we discussed with our boss and eventually took them in under our wing. Oh, okay. That's nice. Yep. You don't really hear, I, I mean, I personally don't really hear a lot of full female you know, esports teams. I I can barely think yeah. of any other one other than Sphinx, to be honest. Yeah, it's very rare. Yeah. Okay. So I think just to wrap it up a bit. Uh, do you know of anyone that has sought of so psychological help so far? Um, I think uh, it's quite well known that OG has a team psychologist. Yeah. That helps them get through the competitive stress and everything. And that's also part of the one of the biggest reasons why they were able to get to where they are now. Mm-hmm. Two back to back TI wins. Yeah. That's no easy feat. Yeah, yeah, and it's insane. Locally I think the only team the only organization I know of who have um sought help from psychologists would be our own organization, which okay. is the Beta Arena Elites. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's an idea from our boss. Uh. He's seen a lot of um, overseas esports teams do well because they have a psychologist helping them get through all the stress and problems mm-hmm. that accompanies an esports career. 
especially at such a young age. So um, we have actually been seeking out psychologists from time to time. Okay. Yeah, to help our PUBG team. Okay, nice, nice. That's, that's yeah. nice to hear oh, that your, it's from the boss, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that he believes in, basically. He, he believes that the team can do even better with the help of a psychologist. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So I think we'll just go on to the next uh, section of this. Don't want to take too long. Uh, okay. this, this is a more light-hearted section. Uh, we call it okay. quick, quick fire questions. So basically, it's the questions that we want to ask, but don't have time to like, go into too much detail. If not, this podcast will be six hours long. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, got, I have a list of questions in front of me. So basically, um, I'll give you like two minutes, okay? So the, there's, like a, there's, like, there's like a clock. Uh, okay. I'll give you two minutes to finish all the questions, all right? And, uh, wow. Yeah, okay. the, actually, the, the fastest time we had so far is like a minute 22, I think, to finish the questions. So <laughs> okay. if, if you want to beat that, you can try. Uh, but okay. yeah, I'll just start that now. So the first question is, uh, what's the fa- what's your most favorite um esports event that you've been to? Favorite TI four. Yeah. Okay, uh, what's the what's the most favorite event esports event that you've helped organize? Help organize uh, yeah. uh side of the Valkyries, my own all female tournament. Okay, so mm. do you prefer PC games or mobile games? PC definitely. Uh, if you could have a dinner with anyone in esports, who would you choose? Wow, anyone in esports ah? Uh? Yeah. Uh, shit. I can't think of anyone right now. Okay, we'll uh, move next <laughs> if you okay, want. Okay, next. <laughs> yeah. So, what what's your favorite piece of uh, esports apparel? You mean like peripherals? Is it or uh, apparel like like clothes? I mean, uh, shirts. Oh, clothes, uh. Yeah, shirts, caps. I don't know where. Ti jacket. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so if you weren't in esports, right? What do you think you would be doing right now? I actually studied political science, so Ooh, okay. maybe in politics. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, maybe well, helping out in an MP office or something like that. Mm, mm. What might have been yeah. <laughs> in another <laughs> life. So what, what was the, what's the biggest perk for you of working in this box? Biggest perk? Uh, yeah. A few years ago, I would say getting to know all these players, mm-hmm. but now they're like, my friends are so it's kind of weird to say it that way. <laughs> um, biggest perk I would say sometimes from time to time the free esports peripherals that we get. Mm, okay, like nice. My keyboards, yeah. Nice, nice. Um, so if you could pick anyone in the world, right, to play a game with, who would you pick, and what game would it be? Wow. Um. Dota two. Maybe with No Tail. Ooh. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So, um, for you, right, uh, in your eight years, which country do you think has the most passionate fans in esports? Philippines. Okay. Um, yep. Last one. What's your... Is there an esports bucket list for you? Uh, like, stuff to accomplish in yeah. esports, is it? Uh, probably to have my own organization. Ooh. Yeah. But that will be sometime in the future. Lah. Okay. So, mm. your time is... Oh, <laughs> your time is actually... Two minutes and twenty-four. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's 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 fine. It's not it's not a competition. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Never prepare as such. <laughs> yeah. So this I mean this part is just to because uh, it's not before that we talked a bit a bit more heavy things right just to reset. Yeah. Um. So it's not too heavy the whole time and you feel too tired. <laughs> yeah. 
That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> so, okay, I think we'll move on to the next section of this. So the next section is actually called uh, Mind the Chat, okay? So what okay. this is, is basically um, we're going to talk about some issues which are a bit, I wouldn't say sensitive or controversial, but I think it's issues that people don't openly talk about. And, okay. I, and I think it's quite important to talk about because we can't just let these matters get swept under the rug, you know? Mm, okay. So, yeah. So I think we talked a bit about this just now when you're talking about um, things, uh, Sphinx and also your, your, your experience with your challenges uh, coming into esports, right? So the, mm. the, the thing I have here, the title is called, um, you know, we, we don't really see as many e- female esports players uh, compared to males, you know, and why do you think that is and what's your opinion on that? Okay, I think this is a, quite a deeply rooted problem. It has something to do, it has everything to do with the stereotypes that people uh, put on female esports players. So when you enter the scene as a, as a female player, people tend to tell you to go uh, to show your face on screen, to go streaming, to mm. uh, maybe take on ambassadorship to start your own influencer page to promote products for people stuff like that I actually did my fair share of um, these sort of things as well I also mm-hmm. have my own influencer page that I manage on the site Yeah. but um, in order to when you invest all your time in pursuing this path you tend to neglect why you entered esports in the first place which is to pursue a competitive career out of it so yeah which is to get a competitive career out of this so this is something that this is the reason why some of uh, some of the very talented female players that I know have uh, eventually shifted direction along the way or Mm. gave up competitive gaming at some point in time. So that's a that's actually quite a sad thing uh, because you only have so many years to perform in esports. Yeah. Because of the you reach your peak around maybe when you are twenty two or so. Yeah. Eighteen to twenty two I would say. Um between eighteen to twenty two. And after that it's downhill from there. So if you get lured into doing all those stuff and sort of lose your direction along the way um, it's actually quite a waste of opportunity and talent and I've seen that happen to so many different female players yeah so that would be that I would say would be one of the reasons why there are fewer esports uh, there are fewer female esports players that you see who eventually make it all the way onto the international stage and actually playing in mixed teams and making a career out of esports. Hmm, okay. And also another reason might be that um, I think I've seen someone use this analogy before. They say um, females, they even when they go to the toilet, they have to go together. In a group, okay. So, the same logic applies to esports as well. They like to play in a 
how to say, an environment where they feel safer and more comfortable yeah. together with their female friends. So that's also one of the reasons why I keep advocating the need of female-only tournaments as opposed to mixed tournaments. There have been a lot of controversies around this topic, actually, because mm-hmm. there are people who say that females are not biologically uh, weaker than men when it comes to esports because mm-hmm. they are not disadvantaged in terms of um, physicality or anything like that. Yeah. So because esports is something that relies on just your hands and your brain, your hand-eye coordination, stuff like that. So, um. But I still feel that there's a real need for female-only competitions just yeah. for this reason that I mentioned. Okay. Yeah, because I have played in these tournaments before and it, it's an entirely different experience from um, as opposed to playing in mixed teams together with male players because the way males and female players communicate yeah. is different. The way they perceive the game and strategize are also different so there might be some um, gaps in communication during tournaments when Mm. you are in a mixed team but that don't often happen in all female teams because Mm. somehow we are more aligned in the way we think and like I said the way we perceive the game is more is different from that of males Uh, it's it's actually quite hard to describe because I have to go into quite technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, but basically, yeah, there, there are a lot of fundamental differences. Uh, and that's kind of the reason why I feel there's a need for female-only tournaments also. And because there's a lack of such, there's a lack of all-female tournaments right now, Yeah, that might be a reason why we are seeing uh, fewer female players in the esports industry. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I I can see I can see why that can be, um. A a kind of barrier because like if there's no tournaments, why 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 would you want to become an esports player, right? Because you won't be able to play. Yeah. Uh. I think the first step is always to get people get those get the girls interested in the game first. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, in the first place many girls they don't even game mm-hmm. so the group of gaming females is already quite a small group yeah. and then within that you need to find those who are competitive minded who actually want to pursue an esports career and then from that even smaller group you need to identify the ones who are actually able to persevere through and follow down the path that they they chose mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why the only a rare handful really get to the point where they can make a, an esports career. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think I think that's the same with males as well because but the only difference is that there's a lot more males that play games in yeah. the first place, right? Yeah. The but, pool yeah. is wide yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. But but thanks for your your opinion on that. Actually, I I I learned a bit on on because uh, because you know I I'm a guy. I I wouldn't know how it feels like to be a girl. So, <laughs> I, 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 I and I wouldn't know what your struggle is. So I I think it's really great that you chat that. And I I I understood a bit more about that. Ah, uh, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs>
Mm. I think the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is actually some something we talked about when you were talking about Mespa just now. The issue of I think it's pretty well known that there have been some organizations or uh, or organizers of tournaments that uh, have not paid out um, the players for their prize money yep. and such, and yep. maybe it's also we include teams and organizations that are not fulfilling contractual agreements um, of their players. Mm, so I want I to see. hear what your take on that is and a bit more deeper insight into that from your okay. experience. And what and what okay. your experience is? <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. Ah, uh, this issue. <laughs> I think this is an issue that's plagued the esports scene since its infancy, lah. Mm-hmm. So back then, uh, all the tournaments were just cyber cafe tournaments. They were unregulated stuff like that. So yeah, even if you don't pay out prize pool, nobody can actually do anything. Nobody can lay a finger on you. So. With that mindset, some of the newer, how to say, some of the opportunists who come into esports wanting to run a tournament, make a name for themselves in the esports scene, also think the same way. They also think that they can get away unscathed, mm-hmm. which is unfortunately still kind of true because of the way they have been trying to worm out of these situations. Yeah, but basically it's these opportunists uh, who want to come into esports, maybe uh, make a name for themselves or make a fortune out of it, then just escape and disappear forever. So some of these tournament organizers, we haven't been able to track down. But the ones who are still in esports, we have been actively trying to contact them to get them to, uh, to, get them to pay up to the players what yeah. they promise the prize pools and uh, stuff like that and for some of these tournaments even the staff who are involved the freelancers the talents haven't even been paid yet hmm. so for MESPA other than helping out these players we are also helping out all these unpaid staff and other personnel who are involved in the organizing of the tournament hmm, okay yeah, so this is something that's uh, still, it's, a, it's an issue that still persists, I would say. Because we are supposed to have a government body who is assigned mm-hmm. to help resolve these issues. They are supposed to act as the authority figures to make sure that these irresponsible tournament organizers don't, don't get away unscathed from not paying players mm-hmm. after these tournaments. Yeah. But they are not really playing their part well. I think in the recent one year or so, they have been trying to make some changes to the governing body for it to be more inclusive because prior mm-hmm. to this, they didn't actually include anyone from esports. Okay. Like from the industry itself. So they had a bunch of um, government officials who didn't know much about esports, wanting to govern over esports. So obviously that didn't work out well. <laughs> so later on, they they did try to be a bit inclusive. And some of my friends from the industry are actually in the governing body right now. Okay. Uh, although things are moving very slowly, I'm hoping that eventually they can make a change and actually make this tournament organizers answer to the demands of the players and 
answer to their responsibilities. Mm. Yeah, and for Mespa, we are actually just a voice for the players. We can gather up all the tournament organizers who are involved. We can gather up the. Uh, we can ask for a meeting with the governing body, but there's only so much we can do. Like we don't actually have uh, the power to force the tournament organizers to pay up. We can only exert pressure via social media and also by by bothering them nonstop, <laughs> basically, to get them to pay up. But it still comes down to the governing body, lah. I would say. Okay, so yeah. was there any cases where you know where you kind of bothered them until they finally paid up? Um, because I I haven't been personally affected by any of these uh, non-payment incidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've only heard of friends who have done that before. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, so one of my friends who was affected by one of these incidents, he actually threatened a few times on social media to expose the tournament organizers mm-hmm. or to lodge a police report and stuff like that. Basically, uh, threats on social media uh, to exert pressure on the tournament organizer. And somehow, because the organizer is very... They care about their face a lot. They care yeah. about their reputation a lot. So they eventually caved and started an installment plan to pay back the player. Mm. Like, yeah, the prize money is supposed to be paid in one lump sum, lah. But yeah. they worked out. Uh, they reached a middle ground, which is the installment plan. And my friend agreed to it as well. Okay. That was a few years ago, though. Oh. Yeah. Right, right. I right. think you should know which one I'm talking about. So, <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I mean, as you said, I I'm not sure if it's getting better, but I hope it is. Uh, I mean, it's small steps, I guess. But you know, yeah. I, I it's it's really not fair, You know, when you do the work and then you don't get paid. Yeah, that shouldn't happen anywhere. Actually, yeah, it's just a sad fact that we don't have a. A proper structure or governance over esports at this point in time. Yeah. Esports is still quite young as an industry, lah. Mm. So I'm hoping that as the industry grows, we can slowly get all these uh in place, get all these uh structure in place, so that eventually when we need to enforce certain things, we can. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it will get better in time. Just that you know, it's it's unfortunate that um uh, people had to go through this. It's yeah. Not, it's not. It's very. It's not very nice, really. Yeah, growing pains for esports, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you know we'll see in a few years. Maybe maybe all this will be gone. I mean, hopefully, I'm I'm very hopeful. Yeah, hopefully. I think some of the international esports uh, federations are also slowly getting involved and establishing like local branches Ooh, in order yeah. to make sure that uh, all these things don't happen, and also to help protect player rights, to protect organizer rights, stuff like that. Mm, so yeah. hoping that with all these new parties coming in, we can really reach a place where everyone can be, uh, can rest assured that these things won't happen again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's yep. just hope for the best, uh. And yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think I think as more and more people come into esports, um, they probably will be more educated in the sense where. Maybe because they went through it, they won't they won't put it to other people. Hopefully, the cycle ends. You know. Yeah, hopefully that's the yeah. hope, lah. <laughs> yeah.
So that was the mind the chat. So this is about myths. Um, we're trying to help demystify some some myths that people might have of esports. Mm. Uh, so one of it, I think, connected to what you said just now was, uh, one of the myths is, uh, that, I, that sometimes I hear is uh, esports is a bubble, it's gonna burst. So what what are your thoughts on that? Um, as a whole, yeah, I agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because many of the esports team organizations. They are paying massive salaries to the players, and then they keep doing. Um, they keep raising funds round after round after round, mm-hmm. and basically what they are doing is they are just playing the valuation game. Mm. So um, it's not really a sustainable business in itself for yeah. all these team organizations, especially those without the backing of. Um, for example, like Mineski, they have their cyber cafe chains and other events, production arms that are making money. Mm-hmm. So they use that to sustain their team. Mm. But the same can't be said for a lot of international esports organizations. Some of these team organizations are centered around the team and probably the extra income that they make would be from sponsorship deals, from selling merchandises, but that's about it. Yeah. If you win in the top tournaments, if you win in those top tournaments like TI, Worlds, then probably you can get a bit of your money back from the uh, from the percentage, from the small percentage that you draw from the prize money. Yeah. But that's about it. It's not sustainable in the long run. So... I'm not sure whether you you asked this question because you saw the article on Kotaku. But, I I did um, not I did not I wrote this quite a bit, uh quite quite long ago, but what oh, what was okay. that what was that about? Yeah, but that article is actually quite insightful, um because it actually tells people the truth that goes on be, uh, behind all these team organizations. Most of these organizations, if the team itself isn't like top. Uh, isn't like first or second place in the world. Yeah. They aren't really making money. Yeah. And they aren't sustaining themselves properly. They're just waiting for an escape. Like if the company gets um, acquired by another big corporation, mm. uh, stuff like that. So um, I would say the problem is more prevalent in the international scene but not so much when you talk about the local scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some team organizations which um, I'm not sure whether they are sustainable also because of how much the players are getting paid and stuff like that. Yeah. Or be- simply because they don't have any other sources of funding or income that are yeah. sustaining their organization, keeping them afloat. But... um. The problem isn't as serious as it is in the international team ox. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, it's probably waiting to burst, yes. But after it bursts, it will probably be a good thing for everyone. Lah. We can all finally do things the right way and learn to operate businesses the sustainable way as well. Mm, yep, true, true. I mean, this there's a saying, like, you know, like, you know, uh, esports uh, teams are a money losing business sometimes. Yeah, mostly, it is mostly, ninety nine percent is mo- mo- money money losing. 
Yeah, you know, like some of the local esports team orgs, mm-hmm. they actually um, categorize team spendings under marketing spending, oh. which is something that they don't really expect to get back. Okay. Yeah, it's something to get the brand name out, mm. but yeah, they don't expect to gain a single cent back. Yeah, definitely. Some 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 team organizations are not all. Yeah, yeah. I think well, I think especially now in this time, uh, they have to find a ways to be a bit more sustainable. <laughs> yeah, that's why actually some of the team orgs actually went through some of the esports team orgs actually went through restructuring as well during this uh, COVID period. Mm. Yeah, so some of them, I think some of them even shut down. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they weren't able to brave through this storm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like bubble tea, right? I mean, all the bubble tea stores are closing down now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you brought up a very important point just now where, you know, where you said uh, organizations are just paying players like a, a very huge sum of, of money, you know? Mm. Uh, and that, bring back, that brings me to the next myth, you know, that you can't earn a living in esports if you aren't a player. Oh, okay. What are your thoughts so, on that? For this one... I would say this statement would, would have been true a few years ago, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Maybe a decade ago. Yeah. Because uh, that's where esports first started. Ma. Like the with the players joining small tournaments, making a living out of it. And even then, the players weren't doing that well. Like they weren't earning enough to sustain their own living. Yeah. Because back then, there were a lot of... Uh, Tournaments. There were a lot of tournaments that paid players in peripherals and products rather than cash money. Mm. So that has changed quite a lot. And nowadays, there are a lot of behind-the-scenes jobs in the esports industries. Yeah. Or even if you are talking about on-screen jobs, you have shoutcasters, you have um, you have analysts, you have hosts. If you have the talent, um, basically you can succeed in esports and anywhere else. That's for on-screen talents. If you're passionate enough and have the relevant game knowledge, then I can say that a lot of esports organizations are looking for people like that. Mm. Yeah, so this one I have to debunk lah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you can definitely earn a good living in esports, yeah. even if you aren't playing competitively or professionally. Yeah, I think like you know, I I don't, I don't think people understand the work and the people required to run, especially like a, a an event, right? Yeah, you, you always see the players, right? But you don't see all the people that are there to make sure everything runs because without them, I don't think it's an event. Yeah, there's so many people behind the scenes. Even just in the production team, you already have like the producer, the director, yeah. or the camera crew, and then a bunch of uh, observers, freelancers running around, helping to manage the players, the talents, and then you have the team managers, you have the talents themselves, and then you have the event planning team, yeah. which is something like what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have the marketing staff. Basically, esports is already a healthy ecosystem in itself. 
Yeah. The fact that it's self-sustainable already speaks a lot about the jobs and opportunities that are present in the industry. Yeah, definitely, I think. I, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, you know, the players are the face. Uh, but, you know, everyone else is like the body, the heart, the, the, the legs of the person, yeah. you know. <laughs> Esports won't be where it is now without all these people behind the scenes doing all the work. Yeah, okay. Great, great. Uh, I think mm. just as uh, like a final, final, a, a final note or message to the listeners, like if anyone wants to join the world of esports, you know, whether it's like a, as a player, manager, coach, uh, a marketing or, you know, uh, just, just behind the scenes, what mm. kind of advice would you give to them? I think this is true for every industry, but especially so in esports. Uh, the esports industry is still very small and everyone knows each other. Everyone knows who you are. So don't simply think that you can get away with anything. Be nice and helpful to everyone you come across and you will be rewarded for it. That would be what that would be the advice that I have for mm. yeah, anyone who wants to get into the scene. Because the esports industry is still very small and word gets around. So you can't really get away with any wrongdoings or mistakes, stuff like that. Hmm. Like it's karma, right? Yeah. And always do things the right way even when nobody's watching. Hmm, yes, yes. That's very yeah. uh very, very good uh parting words for you. Uh <laughs> But I think, you know, it's, it's been a very good pleasure, Tiffany. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast again. And, you know, if how can people get a hold of you if they have any questions or you know, inquiries about anything that they uh, heard from today? They can actually go to my website, www.babyorling.com. Okay. Yeah, I have a form there for any inquiries. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, if you want to get into the esports scene, if you want to get any advice regarding esports or anything you want to ask me, you can just... Fill in the form. I'll reply with my email. Oh, okay, okay. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll link that into the, the podcast so that people have the link there. Ah, okay. Yeah, That'd yeah. That'd be great. Thank um, you. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for coming on again. Ah, thank you for having me. Well, that's all for today, everyone. I'm very grateful for Tiffany for giving up her time to come on and share her experience with us. And, you know, personally, it was really enjoyable for me. And she's always been someone I've looked up to, uh, especially for the way that she has been championing the way for females in esports, which has been really inspiring for me. And if you like the podcast, you know, share it with your friends, uh, followers on social media, making memes about it if that's what you want to do, uh, tweet us or messages, and, you know, let us know what you thought about this episode. You can get to know more about us at mindgapmy.com. That's M-I-N-D-G-A-P-M-Y dot C-O-M. And while you are at our website, you can subscribe to us. And if you do subscribe to us, you get a free ebook on identifying your motivation types and how to harness that motivation for yourself. So this has been Brian from MindGap. You know, this show is brought to you by MindGap, a sports psychology consultancy. And, you know, that's all today from Insights, our podcast. And I'll see you on the next episode. Until then, cheers.